0: You're listening to Wholesaling Inc. Episode number 496.
1: Wow. What stands out ridiculously obvious for me because I came out of the OA crash is not dealing with the banks whatsoever. So I know people go, I got a guy called me recently and say, yeah, but you know, I looked at your stuff. I love the terms idea, but I got great credit. So I got like four loans. That I said, whoa, 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 you're signing personally on all those loans. I know you get great credit, but you're signing personally. I don't have to do that. And that keeps me up at night. So first and foremost would be don't,
0: Welcome to the Wholesaling E podcast. I'm your host, Chris Arnold. Excited about today, gonna take you in a direction that's really gonna get you to kind of step back and think. One of those topics to really get you to reassess how you think about business, how you purchase deals. And I've got a very special guest today, Chris Prefontaine. Let me give you a little bit of background. this guy's been in the game now for 30 plus years which means he has been through the ups and downs of the cycle. So obviously, with the current environment of what's occurred here in 2020, it's always great, I find, to talk to someone that's kind of been there and what strategies were effective. Because obviously, the strategies that are effective in certain markets, particularly up markets, are not always the same in down markets. Uh, you got to shift, right? You got to change the strategy. And so Chris obviously has written three books. I love this three-time best-selling author. And what are we talking about? We're gonna talk about today, buying on terms. So either you do or you don't know what that means, but if you stick around, and we are gonna pick his brain and figure all this out. So Chris Prefontaine, welcome to the show, buddy. What's up?
1: Thanks, buddy, thanks. Good to see you again.
0: You too, man. So those that might not recognize your name, Give us a snapshot where you located, a little bit about yourself from your perspective.
1: Sure. So we're in Newport, Rhode Island, the giant state of Rhode Island. Not quite as nice as we are sitting right now, but pretty nice. We have a family company here. We buy and sell, uh, as you said, on terms. So it's my son and son-in-law on a great team. We'll talk about terms, but then we also go out and help students do the same thing, buy and sell on terms all around uh, North America. I love it, man. So this is
0: your specialty, kind of your niche and your expertise, which is always great. And Chris, you know the old phrase, the the riches are in the niches a lot of times. So let's break this apart. What does it mean to buy real estate on terms? What does that mean? Give us kind of like the elementary education understanding of this, particularly for those listening that might actually be new to real estate.
1: Yeah, so coming out of the 08 crash, buying on terms for us was not using banks, not signing personally on loans, not putting your own cash up. And then to go further into how you do that, lease purchase, owner financing, subject to. Those are the three ways we buy and that's it.
0: Okay, so another phrase I hear that might resonate is creative financing or doing creative deal structuring, not your traditional wholesale fix and flip. And so one of the questions I have is, why would somebody consider taking the time to learn all of this rather than just continue to wholesale and flip? I mean, they've got that education, it makes sense for them. Why would anyone even want to step into this and begin to unpack it?
1: Yeah, great question, so it's not to step on toes. I got buddies uh, all over the country that do wholesaling. But to answer your question, the main thing for me is the amount of checks and the size of the checks, for one thing, meaning we create three paydays every deal. So it's not go do a deal, get a check. It's three paydays per deal. Super important so you get off the treadmill. Uh, number two, it works super, super good in any market. It just depends on how you manipulate each market. We'll talk about that perhaps. But we built it after the OA crash, remember, to sort of weather storms, clearly not knowing COVID was coming. And then when COVID came, we didn't survive. We absolutely cranked and still cranking because the banks and, and all the other pressure on the buyers and sellers that were driving them to us.
0: Okay. So to kind of recap that, what I hear you saying is the reason this is valuable to learn is would you rather get paid once or three times? And then more importantly, this is a tool that's most effective to weather a storm, um, yeah, which bet. obviously we're weathering right now. So walk us through on how we can begin to understand how to buy on terms, like get our feet wet, kind of educate us on maybe some of the baby steps, how you want to break that down for us.
1: Yeah. So let's talk a couple things. So let's talk about if a wholesaler or a flipper is calling a seller just in general before the deal even starts. I hear sellers will say to me, yeah, yeah, you just want to steal my house. So you just want to offer me cents on the dollar. We're paying market value in a lot of cases, a lot of cases, as long as we get a long enough term. So let's do an example, especially for a new person. Lease purchase tends to be a simple entry for a new person. Why? Title doesn't transfer. It's literally a $10 deposit built into our agreements. I mean, it's, a, it's an easy entry for someone new. So here's a lease purchase. Chris, you're the seller, let's say. And there's all different scenarios, but let's give you some equity. Let's say we agree that your house is worth about $300,000 and you owe two fifty, dollars but you couldn't sell on the open market. Could be COVID, could be you might be slightly overpriced, whatever reason you can't sell. Okay. So I come in and say, all right, Chris, listen, you didn't get three well, Let's go ahead and protect your fifty grand equity that you thought you had I will at the end or before the end of the term of a lease with a purchase option built in, I will pay you 50 grand and I will pay off the underlying loan, which won't be 250 anymore. So that benefits me. So from a seller standpoint, they go, okay, hands off. I don't have to give up my deed yet. I know I get my 50 grand at the end of the term and my mortgage is taken care of in the meantime. I don't worry about my house. So it's a great way. If they don't need the cash, I can talk to any seller as long as they don't need the cash today.
0: Okay. And so in structuring that deal from your angle, being the investor, how are you capitalizing in the sense of creating profit?
1: Yep. Okay. So now we'll go on the other end. So now I turn around. And by the way, if I talk to you, the seller, and I'm new, I'm making this deal between you and I, a hundred percent contingent upon me getting my buyer. And who's my buyer? Someone that needs time. They got a credit challenge. could be again, COVID or not COVID related. They're self-employed, they need seasoning, they need time to report their income. Anything that any buyer that needs time is gonna go through our rent to own. We're gonna pre-qualify them, we're gonna make sure they are going to get a mortgage within the timeframe we need them to get qualified. So where do the three paydays come in? Deposit upfront, front, non-refundable, because remember these are buyers, they expected to put money down and they get shut down for whatever reason.
0: And what type of deposit would you see on something like that, what percentage or?
1: We range seven and a half to 10% and with COVID we've been saying to buyers, look, we want to set you up to win. And in this current climate, the banks are looking for stronger deposits. So over the course of the term, we're going to schedule continuous deposits. But to get in the door, they've got to be somewhere between three and seven to, to show us that they're serious, that they are a buyer, not a renter.
0: And that's off of the sales price of 300000 Is that right? Yep. Okay. So yep. you're picking up, let's say, around 7%, which is, hey, not a bad chunk of change up front. Seven front. And then more
1: over time. Like, hey, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Buyer, what do you get for tax returns each year? Great. How much do you think you allocate to your deposit? Do you have any raises coming up? So we help them schedule deposits throughout the term. It helps them get qualified better, improves our cash flow, and gets them more vested in the home so they're not going anywhere.
0: Okay. What's the second way you get paid?
1: Second way is simply, uh, I'm going to pay that 250 loan, the underlying loan. Let's call it 1300 bucks. I'm going to go ahead and collect from the buyer something higher than that. Let's call it fifteen or 1600 bucks. So payday two is a monthly cash flow.
0: So you're going to collect from the buyer a little bit more than what the seller's mortgage is.
1: Correct. Correct.
0: Okay. Yep. And, and easily, their- how
1: much is that? Uh, your- our average, I know, I mean, our metrics are pretty dialed in. We're pretty low on, from all our students. We're in the low end. We're about 308 bucks a month. That's our average.
0: So right around $300 yeah. uh, coming in on that. Okay. All right.
1: Payday three is a cool one. Payday three is I'm going to take that home and rock it up a little bit in most cases, as long as I'm within the market range here. Say it's 319. And then I'm going to get all of the principal pay down on your underlying loan. So you got a nice spread there. That's the larger payday, payday three, when that thing cashes out. So all three paydays for us, Chris average about 75 grand. Our team, our students go as high as quarter of a million in some of the higher price markets. We're again, we're kind of on the lower end of New England.
0: All right, and break down the math on that third one too for someone listening and understand how that math works on payday number three. Yeah, so let's
1: do an exact on that house. So let's say we mark the home up to three nineteen nine. So there's a 20 grand markup. Then whatever the principal pay down is, so an average term, let's use 36 months. And let's say, let's give it a small principal pay down of 300 bucks a month. So that's another $3,600 a year, right? So there's another 10 grand over the course of three years, a little more than 10 grand. Gotcha. So 30 grand there.
0: And then adding all of those three paydays, you'll take one deal, get paid three times, and on average make seventy five thousand. Then let's say you wholesaled a potential deal and make your, we'll say ten to twenty spread, uh, looking nationwide, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't do them. I maybe did two in the last several hundred deals. We just don't do them.
0: Okay. What's number two strategy on buying on terms?
1: Break this uh, down. This one
0: give the example, kind of the value, et cetera, so students can really yeah. begin to understand.
1: This is by far the most lucrative, but there's a little cost going in, and let me explain. So it's donor financing, but as you know, there's all different ways to do owner financing. This is, we look for free and clear properties. About a third of the U.S. homes are free and clear. So there's a big pool, no mortgages. So we will go to them and say, look, we'll give you a price, sometimes even a premium, as long as we get a term, why? We're paying principal-only monthly payments. This is key. This is where the money maker is. So I'll give you an exact deal we did. Guy was on the market for two teens. I think it was 219 with a realtor. Couldn't sell. Called me right before relocating and said, hey, can you do that owner financing thing? We had met prior to his realtor. Struck out with his realtor, called me back. I said, okay, Don, what did you think you would get in the open market with the realtor? You didn't sell and you're ready to relocate. But what did you think you were going to get? He's debt-free. He said, I think I was going to get around one eighty three 183.9. He had an exact number. I said, okay, I'll pay you $183.9 and I'll do so by paying nothing down. I'm going to pay you $923 a month. That was my fancy metric. It's about $900, but it was $923. And I'm going to do that for four years, principal only payments. He said yes to that. The only cost we have going in, so a brand new investor might wait and do this on the second or third deal, is I got to pay his transfer tax because he has a state that transfer tax, because I can't say no money down. Monthly principal, but pay your transfer tax. That's a little hard to swallow. Yeah. So we paid his transfer tax. I don't know what it was. Maybe 15 or 1800 bucks. That was our only cost going in, but picture that principal pay down now. Same way. We went out to the market at 225, bought it for 183, but every month 923 is coming off principal and a payment of 923. We put the buyer in there at 1500 as a specific gotcha. deal.
0: So you find the buyer, you're obviously playing 923 then you have them paying 1500 correct?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, any business owner, you, you run multiple businesses too. Any business owner, the model of, hey, okay, I need some cash now, I need some cash over time, and I need some cash later, that's a nice model.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what was your ability to resell on the market at the higher price if you had difficulty doing that before? I'm guessing you're going to a buyer that could not normally qualify for a loan, right? 100%. So therefore, they're happy to pay a higher price because now they at least get the opportunity of home ownership. Is that correct? That's yeah, why most of them could sell it and the original seller could not,
1: right? Yeah, 100% correct. Because most of them think, so many of them think that they, they're done. Like I've had people go through bankruptcy and say, oh, I thought he never could buy again. The other in tears. So all we do is to give them a pathway to get there. They thought they were cooked. And so with COVID, I used to say 62 to 82% of the buyers can't get financing in a regular market, in their current state without credit repair. Now, I don't know if the number is. It's higher because the, the banks are tightening down, as you know. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. So walk through again, how many paydays do you get on the owner financing deal? Obviously, you mentioned one, which is the difference between what your principal amount is with the seller versus what the buyer is paying you. What other paydays do you get on that deal?
1: Yep. Same thing. So that was payday two, right? The monthly spread. Yeah. Payday one is the exact same thing. The buyer came in. That was a lower end deal because meaning upfront because we did it several years ago. It was like 15 grand up front. These days we would take more, but still good. And then that spread, that Delta, and then the back end's huge. Because four years, it's like 40 something thousand on principle, plus the markup from 183 to two teens, 225. Yeah.
0: So you get to keep the markup, which is big, right? In that situation, that's a pretty big spread. And then from what I understand on down payment, I'll actually just ask you the question. What is the average percentage you can get on a down payment on owner financing? Because I've heard yeah. it's a little bit higher.
1: Yeah. So if I went out, okay, this is a good uh, transition. So we did a rent to own on that guy. But to your point, we say to those rent to own buyers, when you get your deposit up to 20%, or if they come in with 20, then we will owner finance it. So we bought it and sold it on owner finance versus exactly. buy it on owner finance, sell it on rent to own. Yeah, it's higher and you get stronger buyers. So we're, we, we push 10 to 20 versus seven to 10.
0: Okay. And what's, again, if 75K is the average size of the deal on your lease option strategy, right? What is it on the owner financing strategy? What's the average size profit on that type of deal?
1: Yeah, I love this. So this, this is a metric you can, you can bet on every time. If you do $200,000 home or up, that was 183 dollars work, but I'm just giving you a, a metric and you do four year terms or more. And you do monthly payments of nine hundred or more. It's a six figure deal. That deal I just explained to you was one hundred twenty eight grand without any extensions.
0: And that's one hundred twenty eight grand over a what? Four years. Period of time? Four year period of time. No, I like it. Okay, excellent. So we got some creative deal structuring going on here. People listen might go, okay, I see (laughs) this. This is some interesting ways to look at this. So let's go to the third strategy when it comes to buying on terms. What's this look like?
1: Subject two, a little more, as you know, a little more advanced. Uh, subject two is going to be more for two ways we back into this. One, someone's a little stressed out. They need debt relief. Whereas the free and clear person, they just want the best price, right? So this person's a little more stressed out. Typically, they need out now. We'll buy their home just like you would buy any home. The difference is instead of new money coming to the table, we buy it subject to the existing financing staying in the seller's name, even though we're buying the home and taking title.
0: Okay, so break that down a little bit more on in a sample deal, uh, maybe yeah. even one that you've done recently. That makes it a little bit more um, accurate in the sense of I number. agree, real
1: stuff. Uh, my son-in-law did a deal recently down on Cape Cod. We're in New England. Cape Cod's a resort area. It was a couple getting divorced. I'll use round numbers from the top of my head. they were forty-one hundred dollars in arrears. So again, this is more advanced. This is when you have deals going that'll self fund other stuff. House was valued somewhere around uh, four and a quarter already, regular market value. They owed around three sixty three, for memory. I'm probably a few thousand within that on their existing mortgage. All they wanted was out. They were divorced. They were arguing. Forty one hundred dollars in arrears. If we didn't do something, they were getting deeper and deeper. Right, the credit was getting trashed. So we agreed to buy the home, subject to and catch up their arrears. The subject to was that balance of three something, three sixty three. So we're walking into immediate equity without having to jack the price up. So because the price is worth four twenty five all day long. We did that while the attorneys were closing the deal, we found our buyer and we found it at 40 something thousand dollars down. It was 10% right, right up to bat, not staggered right up the bat. So big deal. We paid $4,100 in arrears, but did the same thing, rent to own buyer. Those same three paydays. This deal is worth about 80 something grand, but here's the pivot of the other way you can back into the owner, financing so you brought up earlier. We said to them after they thought, okay, I'm going to have to go for the bank for the next two or three years. Okay. I, I, you guys will help me. Okay. Then we said, look, good news. You never miss a payment and you get your deposit from 10 up to 20. We will want to finance you and you'll never have to go to the bank. Now they're ecstatic. So yeah. all you can do is stay on time with us and they're ecstatic. So that deal is going to become a lot more lucrative than the little lease we gave them up front, worth about 80 something grand. It's going to be a 20, 30 year deal.
0: Okay. And what do you see the average profit on the subject two strategy?
1: Subject twos are always over six figures. It's just a matter of during it, do they surprise you and, you know, come up with some loan or cash out? It's a bummer when they do that, but, but I'm happy for them because we're supposed to make them win, right?
0: Yeah, so if it does play out the way that it's supposed to with the actual seller, you find those to be six-figure deals? Always,
1: yeah, okay. yeah. Those are the second two so examples. If I'm there. listening
0: to this, a couple of questions, right? I'm putting myself in the audience's shoes. My first Go. question is, okay, I understand how to find a buyer or a cash buyer for you know, a wholesale deal. Yeah. Um, you know, I understand how to build a cash buyer's list, email them the deals. Where and how are you finding buyers for these creative financing deals? Because these are different type of buyers than what we're used to as a right. traditional wholesaler.
1: It's actually the easiest practice of the equation because of what you and I talked about earlier. There's an enormous pool of buyers that either aren't bankable and have cash, like self-employed people, and or need credit help and other help. So that's the easiest piece. It's online. It's RentLinks. It's Craigslist. Zillow. There's all the online portals that we use. Now, we do have one. We go through AppFolio, which populates all of that, but that's it's online. And you will turn away. You will build a buyer's list that's enormous because of COVID, but even before COVID, for people needing and seeking terms or some way out to get a mortgage eventually.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so are you building a database of those buyers or you're just allowing the deal to attract the buyer each time separately? Does that yeah, make that's sense? good
1: because I you know a lot of wholesalers build that list first. Build, so they teach this is a
0: built or this is a magnetic, just get the house out there and it'll attract the right buyer.
1: The first house, get it out. I always tell them, get it out there. You'll bring in 50, 100, sometimes 400 buyers and then you're on your way. So you don't have to pre-build it.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And so it sounds like in this case, it's easier to build this type of buyer than probably the wholesaler has building a traditional cash buyer list. Very much so. Because there's more people yeah. and they're much probably more. more desperate, right? Yeah. Much <laughs> okay. more. Because there's not really a solution for that particular person. So if we were to take all of these, just your experience of doing them over time, give us the top two to three things that you really like the most about buying on terms like all the things that are benefits but what are the two three just for you chris where you're like you know what this is why i love buying on terms what are those
1: well wow. what stands out ridiculously obvious for me because i came out of the oa crash is not dealing with the banks whatsoever so i know people go i got a guy call me recently and say yeah but you know i looked at your stuff i love the terms idea but i got great credit so i got like four loans i said whoa, whoa. You're signing personally on all those loans. I know you get great credit, but you're signing personally. I don't have to do that. And that keeps me up at night. So first and foremost would be don't deal with banks and sign personally. That's what I love about it. Okay, Um, I'm not a fan of banks. I don't know who is, but I'm not. And the second thing is the three paydays. Because if I parlay like my first 12 or 18 deals, they now have staggered paydays on all those deals. Could I then take a break without shutting down any cash flow? Absolutely, I could. A month. Kind of the idea of
0: do a deal once and get paid multiple times versus a transaction treadmill of one deal, one payment. Got to go do it again immediately.
1: Yeah. Then go hang out with you in Mexico, and I don't have to worry about staying here.
0: (laughs) Ah, there you go. Any other benefits outside of those two? Maybe a third one you really appreciate.
1: So, from a a gratitude standpoint, I appreciate that it's a three-way win-win, which is unique. In real estate, we're not stealing property whatsoever. The buyer, the seller, and us are usually ecstatic unless somebody has a life event.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so no one's being taken advantage of in these deals. It's, it's a win-win-win all the way. No, it's a, and that's a good feeling. You want to feel good about the type of real estate that you're doing, particularly not coming in and being that traditional shark. No one wants to feel that way. Yeah, 100%. And so it's morally ethical. You come out of there
1: going, "Yo, know, that was cool.
0: Yeah, okay. So give us the other side. And I always like any guest I have on, to be honest. I don't care what we're talking about, if it's direct mail or wholesaling in general or fix and flip or even radio. There's what always happens. a couple of challenges. There's always what? a couple of cons. You know, if someone's really going, Chris, I, I like this, but, you know, give me the flip side just so I can kind of prepare myself on what I might need to overcome as some, you know, initial just hurdles, et cetera. What are those things just to kind of Prep someone on, you know, expectation.
1: Yeah, two things come to mind just because we have the luxury of, or the benefit of having like, you know, 80 or 90 people were doing deals. So you see different weird things happen. One is every new investor, us included, starts doing deals and they, and they get anxious. So they might not pre qualify a buyer enough and end up with like a renter, a wannabe buyer, but really just a renter. They never should have been in the, in the rental in the first place. They didn't have a big enough deposit, but okay, I felt bad. I, put them in the home. Well, then they just end up defaulting. So now you got an angry buyer, a frustrated buyer, you set them up to lose. That's a nightmare that we've all lived through. Mm-hmm. But that's number one, uh, being too anxious and putting something that's not qualified. Uh, number two would be, we don't have this issue. But when I started, it was a major concern. And that is making sure the market changing like it is. It's literally like three months, it'll change again, right? We, we don't know what's going to happen, you and I. But having the right forms and agreements and and whatnot, whatever niche you're in, I don't care what niche you're in, because things are changing too fast right now. Super important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, and I appreciate kind of the candidness around that as well, because everything obviously as a potential option or business will always kind of have some pros and cons. It's good to, to understand those. So let me ask you this. Is this a strategy for the seasoned investor? If I'm listening to this podcast and I'm newer to the game, should... I even start thinking about this or do I kind of go, you know what, let me understand wholesaling and that before I open up to a strategy. Like who is the right person to go, this is maybe a time for me to really start considering this.
1: Yeah, this is good. I get, so a lot of people say to me who, like who you work with, like over a third of people brand, brand new. Like they came from corporate, especially with COVID. Like I can't do that anymore. I can't travel anymore or I get fired. So a lot of them are brand, brand new. And they can absolutely learn it. I mean, we, over and over again, we have that. And then we have people that are seasoned on the other end of the scale who say, I can tack this on to what I'm already doing very easily. So it's just a quicker transition for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So someone, you have people that are new, kind of mid-level, and probably even some people that have been in the game a long time looking yeah. for strategy. But one thing I can tell, you know, to the audience, if this interests you, just my personal experience with, again, I run Multipliers Brotherhood. I'm around a ton of people at the top level of the game. Just, I love networking. That's how I learned, Chris, you're the same way, right? The more of those relationships, it's kind of having your ear to the ground on what's happening, what's most cutting edge. And I can tell you with COVID, just generally speaking, a lot of the bigger players that really depend on wholesaling, you know, fix and flip, some of the traditional stuff, they were kind of heading out and starting to move toward the creative financing. Absolutely. And the reason they were doing that is it's not necessarily something that they would do traditionally, not necessarily even something they might pursue if the market hadn't changed. But the one common thing I know is this, when the market changes like a 2008 or now, creative financing is the shift that you need to go to because you have to. So Part of the strategy of what I would communicate just to the audience listening in is it becomes a tool that's almost necessary, almost kind of mandated during a recession. It's kind of like, let me put it this way. It's kind of like short sales and, uh, you know, REOs on the brokerage side. Not saying I would generally always want to do short sales and REOs. And again, I know that, you know, the type of deals you're doing are great year in and year out, right? Because the type of profit, but you know, that's a strategy in the brokerage world that you might have to use for a season and then you move out of it. So if you're listening right now, what I would really want to drive home is that this is really relevant to the current environment as well. So Chris, you know, you probably got some people listening going, man, this is really interesting. You were able to simplify, I hear these things like subject two, and I don't really know what they mean. So kind of thanks for an introduction to this, you know, what might you want to kind of sum up in the sense of, you know, what the audience needs to understand around this concept, anything that I didn't ask or anything you're like, you know, people really need to know this if they're, you know, considering this strategy.
1: The things that come up a lot, Chris, would be, yeah, but this is working my market. And yeah, but can I do this? Oh, I get
0: that one on radio. Of course, of course. <laughs> I, I don't care what mind. niche. That goes against anything
1: that's ever launched. <laughs> yeah, I, no question. That's why I just repeat, repeat, repeat. So, I, so to that, just understand you can do it in your market and it doesn't matter the price range. I was on a call yesterday with a seller for a student, $3.5 million house, same time, 60 grand house this, this morning. So. All price ranges, all markets. Uh, can you do it virtual? Yes. We started about a year and a half earlier than COVID, luckily, and started teaching more virtual. But look, it's acceptable with everything now, as you know, right? You run everything from afar. Yeah. So, so those are the two main things. But, but for the listeners, especially if they're new, it doesn't matter what niche. And that's when I have to think, okay, this is the only niche because if the, all the niches are great. If you look at what one you can get passionate about and then find someone in it that's kind of doing it, so they're current, especially now all this changes. And then third, just follow that or them for 36 months. There's so many shiny objects. Don't get distracted. You'll have a great experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think this is great. And I'll tell you the one thing I do know about my friends, right? My associates, my guys I run with, the ones that do do buying on terms, they're all pretty passionate about it. Right. Um, They tend to almost kind of have a bias of, uh, man, this is the way I think real estate should be done. And it's just kind of something I've observed. I don't really see anyone that's going your direction that isn't doing it because they really don't believe in it. Like they're almost kind of zealous (laughs) about these strategies is what I found. Almost they kind of feel uh, that they're superior. That's not a bad thing. It's just, but it tells you again, I'm looking at the people doing the strategies and you know, what is their lifestyle, right? You know, what does their day-to-day look like? Are they really out of the business or are they still sucked into it? And uh, I see a lot of good qualities um, around investors that decide to go down this path from a lifestyle uh, standpoint. I Yeah, good
1: observation. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So Chris, my question is, again, you're actually coaching people how to do this. You don't just learn how to do these things without some type of guidance, right? Every time I want to learn something new, the first question I ask is, who's the best person to show me how to do it? Yeah, I mean both. So tell us a little bit about how you're helping students do this and uh, if someone's interested, how in the world they you know, find out more and begin to ask questions and you know, look at potentially hopping on board with what you're educating.
1: Yeah, so just like you and I have gotten to know each other, they'll get to know that we're family and, and we actually care about the transaction. So today, coincidentally, I have the Bridge the Gap shirt on, but all that means is you know all too well there's just a lot of junk out there. So people go through course after course of the course and call me and go, yeah, but I already spent this much. I haven't done any deals. So the bridge of the gap is time from I took a course or a program and I did a, I actually did a deal. We're trying to bridge that and shorten and shorten and shorten that. So we do deals with them in the trenches. Our coaches do what we do. Like literally, we're calling buyers and sellers with our students. That's a big help. Now, I did the course. Uh-oh, stuff happens. You know, it's, there's a big gap there. They can just go to smartrealestatecoach.com. Simple. If they can listen to me babble for another hour, there's a free webinar on there and they'll enjoy it. It's a lot of good content.
0: Okay. So smartrealestatecoach.com is the place to begin to go watch the video and size it up a little bit more if this strategy interests you. Okay. Perfect. I love it. Well, Chris, it's great value. Uh, Most importantly, I just like how we just kind of came in and really just kind of gave an overall what I would call survey of the land of buying on terms. And again, some of these podcasts are the ones that someone listens to and goes, you know what? You know, I've been going this route, but man, this just seems to fit me more. And what I always tell students, when it comes to marketing your strategies, they all work if you work them. But even more importantly, do they work for you in the sense of the way that you're wired? And, you know, sometimes some people like wholesaling, others don't. Do I like fix and flip? Not really, (laughs) you know, but it works. I've got... Buddies, you know, that fix and flip at a large level. I just prefer to wholesale. So a lot of it just comes down to your style. What type of uh, real estate resonates with your personality, the way that you're wired, what your gift mix is. So you might be listening to this going, man, I'm really liking this as well. Well, of course, wrap it up as well. If you're tuning in, uh, you know, as always, we are helping people around the nation get set up on radio. Chris, I always like to do surprise attacks uh, when I have people on on about radio. They never know I'm going to ask. Chris, you actually joined the REI Radio Tribe just actually about a week ago. You know, you're a smart guy. You've been in the game for three years. You've written three books. Why decide to implement radio? How does it help the strategy that you're doing? Why, Why end up picking that up as a marketing channel?
1: I've always, I'm talking way before I was an investor, I've always looked at variety of leads. So not banking everything on one source. So that's the first reason. Second reason is your credibility, frankly. Uh, And then third is we're always looking for next step for our students. Like where can we stay cutting edge? And I felt that all three of those things nailed the buckets.
0: That's great. And again, if you're going to do these types of deals, you need the opportunity to do them, which means now you're always getting back to the most fundamental part of business is you got to market. Yeah. Yep. You got to be able to market to generate the opportunities to do whatever exit strategy you want, whether it's buying on terms, wholesaling, or fix and flip. So Chris, really excited to be able to uh, get in and help you set this up in your market as well. So if you're tuning in and you're like, man, I just keep hearing students talk about radio, how well it's working for them. I see guys like Chris that are super savvy signing up. Again, go to wholesalinginc.com forward slash REI radio. Again, wholesalinginc.com dot com forward slash rei radio book a call see if your market is open before it is sold out chris thank you for your time anything thanks, else buddy. you want to say before we shut it down or man you got it all out
1: i think it's good just you can do it you can go after it and done. all
0: right thank you guys so much for tuning in until next time we will see you soon to add more value talk to you guys later thanks so much